Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We talked about the Stone of Schoon. We did. This, uh, this week. Something people still have incredibly strong feelings about, like... Here is a quote from a 2021 piece in Scotland's The National by Hamish McPherson. Uh, Quote, Today is the 725th anniversary of arguably the greatest theft in Scottish history if you exclude the Act of Union and our removal from the European Union against the will of the Scottish people. Um, I have no idea what the rest of this piece says because it is paywalled. And sadly, I cannot pay to unpaywall every single thing that crosses my radar. One of the books I read on this um, is by someone called Professor Warwick Rodwell. Uh, And Professor Warwick Rodwell works in a consulting role uh, with the Dean and Chapter of Westminster. I forgot to write down the exact title. And his entire book sounds so irritated, so (laughs) irritated about the stone having been sent back to Scotland, so irritated about the 1950 removal of the stone, so irritated about all of the mythology around it, just profoundly irritated the whole way through. Um, So, for example, there's a section about the authenticity of the stone that says, Quote, a great deal has already been written about this subject and it would consume too much space to rehearse all the wayward arguments here. So yeah, uh, the whole tone of that. I was just like, man, you sound like you just want to put put everyone involved with this in detention. Right. Uh, One thing that I had in the outline that I took out because it felt like a digression, but it's also interesting and funny to me, so I want to talk about it now is what happened with the coronation chair and the Stone of Schoon during World War II. Okay. Um, People in London were really afraid that something was going to happen to the stone and the coronation chair 
like, being bombed. I mean, this was a reasonable fear, right? Britain was under attack directly during World War II. So, the chair was taken to Gloucester Cathedral. It was put into a, a sort of recessed space, and then it was walled in with sandbags. And then the stone was placed in a burial vault under Abbot Islip's chapel in Westminster Abbey. They thought that would be a safer place for it in case the abbey was, like, directly hit with a bomb. However, they were also afraid of the location being leaked and afraid that if there was a major attack on London, if they, like, really limited who knew where the stone was, it would be possible that everybody who knew would be killed. So they needed to take some extra steps to make sure that there was information about where the stone was hidden outside of England. So... They sent a sealed letter to the Prime Minister of Canada, which was placed in a bank in Ottawa. And then they were like, what if something happens to that? So they sent a backup copy to the Lieutenant Governor. They probably say Lieutenant Governor. That was placed in a bank in Montreal. Uh, A third copy was kept in the UK until they had word that those two other envelopes had arrived safely in Canada. This maybe seems a little excessive. Honestly, it was not. Uh, all the correspondence relating to all of these plans was in the office of the Dean of Westminster when it was hit by an incendiary bomb in 1941. Uh, And the documents did survive, but, like, there's some burned parts. So, (laughs) anyway, I found that whole story kind of wild. Also, we alluded to the the fact that most of what we know about this heist today is from the perspective of people who were part of it telling stories a lot of times in a very dramatic, colorful way, particularly Ian Hamilton. Ian Hamilton talked about this a lot. He comes across in a lot of accounts, like almost as the sole perpetrator of the whole thing, which is really not the case. Um, He definitely made it sound like a very Robin Hood, rob from the rich and give to the poor kind of thing. They all come across as kind of like uh, roguish scoundrels, and he comes across as kind of self-promotional. So I found it very funny that in that 2008 movie version of this, which I watched over the weekend, essentially every person that he has a dialogue with at some point tells him, basically, you are sure full of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I found that very funny. So yeah, a lot of stuff that it's like, we sort of think this is how it went down, but we're, we're having to draw from a narrative that's like, intentionally written to be entertaining. Right. For a lot of it. We um, crisscrossed with an episode of Criminalia that we did several seasons back uh-huh. regarding Margaret made of Norway. Okay. <laughs> because t- I don't know if you came across this in your thing, but 10 years after she died at the age of seven, tragically, a woman came forward claiming that she was, in fact, Margaret. I did not find and this. And she's known as the false Margaret. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, there were people that believed her, even though there was so much evidence against it. Like, her, Margaret's father had identified the body. Margaret would have been 17 when this woman came forward, and she was, like, estimated to be in her 40s. Like, there were just uh-huh. people that wanted to believe so badly yeah. that this was really Margaret and that everything was going to change with all of those 13 claimants and the whole sure. chaos that had happened. And it made me think about, 
I want to put this very carefully because I don't want anyone to feel like their their position or their opinion on the Stone of Scoon is denigrated. But it made me think about just the ways that people will put their faith in a thing that doesn't have supporting evidence because they want it so badly. Yeah. And it's like, we don't really know the scoop on the Stone of Scoon, but it is so hotly contested. Right. And so it just kind of... Uh, I don't know if tickled me is the right word. It it occurred to me how there are these interwoven pieces of this story that similarly have people believing things really hard, uh-huh. even though they can't really prove that their belief has, like, factual backup. Yeah, uh, uh, there are people who are hardcore believing the various conspiracy theories, either that Edward took the wrong one or that the wrong one was returned, or possibly both. Like, like there's some arguments that, like, both of those conspiracy theories are true, that not only did he take the wrong one, but also the wrong one was then returned in 1951. And it really does seem like both of those conspiracy theories came about way later. Uh, some of the specific things that people cite as evidence are things that are demonstrably untrue. Like, there's an argument of, like, well, Scotland did not ask for the stone back because they already knew that they had the real stone. And it's like, but no, they they did, though. They did ask for the stone back. We have it written down. So anyway, um, it's kind of funny to me how, I, like, there are definitely, for sure, 100% people who have incredibly strong feelings about this today. But what I found written about it in recent years is more broadly written like a heist adventure than stuff written in the 50s when people were largely appalled and outraged. Um, There are accounts that make it sort of seem like everybody, like they took it back to Scotland and everybody was cheering in the streets. And there were some people who were excited (laughs) But there were a lot of people who were like, whoa, no, that, what you stole from a church on Christmas? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, And of course, people who were like politicians who wanted to seem respectable, who wanted to, you know, keep a a generally positive relationship with England. Uh, It comes across as like a universally more embraced heist than it really was. Yeah. Yeah. And again, in my in my thing about all of that, it just um I I in fact want to convey the opposite of what that might sound like, where I'm like, why is everybody getting wadded up about a thing? They don't know for sure. But it's more like it points to the importance of these shared concepts of history that we cling to, right? Like that there's there's something interesting that humans are inherently prone to wanting to find those touchstones that are things they can, like, connect to, even if they don't always have the backup on it. And that, to me, is just a fascinating part of being a human. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the 
the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. We talked about the Banu Musa because I played Assassin's Creed Mirage. <laughs> we certainly did. Um, I do not know if this is accurate and I only found one source that said it so I didn't put it in the episode. But I did find a source saying that the House of Wisdom was the first library in the world to organize its collection by subject. Fascinating. No idea if that's actually accurate or not. Did not really have the ability to run it down. Um, This is right up there with our recent episodes about Catalonia in that we did not learn a lot of this in school. No. Um, And even having done multiple prior episodes related to either the Islamic Golden Age specifically or the period right after that, uh, there was still just a ton of stuff that I was like, I did not know about this at all. Anarchy at Samara, didn't know. I (laughs) got to the part about how, uh, you know, when they were kids, their dad was an astrologer and astronomer to a man who later became the caliph. It was not written about in the like the brief write-ups that I read, um, as though that had involved a civil war. So uh when like when I just put their names of uh Al Amin and Al Rashid into Google, suddenly I discovered there was something called the Brothers War. And I was like, did not know that that ever happened. So this was definitely an episode that involved 
stumbling on a lot of things that were a major part of history in this part of the world that I knew nothing about. Uh, And also feeling like the resources that we had in English were not entirely sufficient. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I would like for there to be just a much richer body of work in English on the Banu Musa than we actually have. Uh, And of course, I also want to talk about Assassin's Creed a little bit. Yay! Um, So I enjoyed this game a whole lot. Reviews I have read of it by, like, Arab Americans, people who grew up in Baghdad, people who have lived there, I would describe as mixed. Like, I read a lot of people who were like, I was so happy to have a video game set in the Islamic Golden Age. Right. It was so great to be in a video game and hearing people speak Arabic and not having those be the terrorist cell. Right. Which is, you know, a a trope in a lot of video games. And just just people talking about little details about the world that that they found really good. Uh, And, like, good representation, to use that idea. Um, I also read some reviews from folks that were more like, I was so excited that there was going to be a game set in the Islamic Golden Age. And I really felt like it was just the backdrop of a game that was mostly about assassinating a corrupt cabal of people. Right. And I'm like, that's, number one, totally fair as a criticism. Number two, that is sort of what the Assassin's Creed games are like. Uh, it's a game where you assassinate a lot of people from a corrupt cabal. Right. Uh, At least that is how the game frames it. Um, Some things I personally really enjoyed about the game as, you know, a person who just has never been to this part of the world, I liked a lot how how beautiful it was. There are little in-game elements that you can interact with in this game that are historical sites that tell you something about the history of this place, which is really nice. Um, There are some places you can find that don't play an actual part in the story that are significant in some way, and there's, you know, an explanation of why that was significant. Um, And I really, like, you sort of build a whole encyclopedia of Baghdad during the Islamic Golden Age over the course of the game if you interact with all of these elements in the game, which I thought was pretty cool. I love it. Uh, A thing I felt awkward, I only noticed this happening at sunset in the game. I don't know if it happens more than at sunset, that was when it would catch my attention, Um, is the call to prayer. Mm -hmm. You hear the call to prayer happening, um, which is like a super important part of, uh, you know, a a Muslim country. Uh, I would stop what I was doing because I felt like it was really disrespectful Oh, right. To, to just go keep assassinate yeah. some people during the call to prayer. I was like, that feels wrong to me. I don't want to do it. I have no idea how anyone else feels about that. That was just what I felt like as a player. Uh, so anyway, game I was pretty into. And then my, uh, as as I opened up the game one day, it was like, Black Friday sale. Would you like to buy Assassin's Creed Origins for $14? And I was like, absolutely. Less- yes, I would. So like, now I'm playing that one, which is set in Egypt, which I have not played before. I know it's older. Uh, I did not start playing the Assassin's Creed games until Odyssey uh, because Patrick bought it for me as a Christmas present, having heard uh, that it was a game he thought I would like. That was correct. I love that game. It's really good. So, happy Friday. Whatever's happening on your weekend, if it involves some video games, I hope you have so much video game fun. If you're having to work this weekend, I hope that goes great and that everybody is great that you have to work with and that if you're working with the public, the public is also great. Uh, We'll be back with a Saturday classic tomorrow. 
and we will be back with something brand new on Monday. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.